from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, our Monday night show, Presentation Monday, uh, where we try to help people walk toward the love of Jesus Christ. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Let's begin with a short word of prayer. We just thank you, God. Uh, Grateful you loved us so much. You gave us your son. Help us to know him better. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. We left off last week on our Monday presentation saying that in the LDS communion prayer, their sacrament prayer is what they call it, there's a three-part renewal system in that. When they get baptized, they take on certain covenants, and then every week they take their sacrament and renew the covenants to take upon themselves the name of Christ, number one, to always remember him, number two. And we said that these are two very biblical presentations that are in the Lord's Supper that he introduced to his apostles. So good job, LDS, on the sacrament prayer thus far. But the third one is, and to keep his commandments, which he has given them, that they may always have his spirit to be with them. And then the prayer says, amen. And we talked about how this last line, you know, all twists of Christianity have some truth to them. That's what makes them so good. Mormonism is really, really good because it has a lot of truth in it, like those two parts I just showed you. But then there is that third part that is not, and the manipulation pounces on LDS people, and it works like this. When you tell them that they are willing to keep his commandments, which he has given them, It allows the LDS leaders, prophets and apostles, stake presidents, bishops, mission leaders, to tell their members what those commandments are. And last week we showed you a laundry list, about two or three dozen of LDS, specific LDS commandments that they say Jesus has given them. And the ranges go from going to the temple once a month to paying a full tithing, 10% of your gross income, to wearing temple garments, to... Uh, obeying your callings, and just on and on and on. You can watch that show. But secondly, in that statement that they are willing to take upon, uh, they're willing to keep his commandments that he has given them, the added line, that they may always, that they may always have his spirit to be with them. And so then there's a direct correlation to, you got to keep his commandments, which are all these two or three dozen or four dozen commandments the prophets say you should keep. And if you don't, you just might not have his spirit to be with you, with you. See, in in Mormonism, you have the Holy Spirit with you. They teach that the sun can only be in one place in the sky. And since the Holy Spirit's a personage, it can only be in one place. But everybody on the world can feel the effects of, of of the sun on their skin. Well, it's the same way of having the Holy Spirit with you in Mormonism. You can have that warmth with you, but they don't teach the Holy Spirit is in you. They say you just feel it. That's the difference between Mormonism and Christianity, which teaches that when you are born from above, when you're born again, the Spirit indwells the person. The the Spirit makes its home in the person's heart and mind. And that's a very big difference in having the Spirit with you versus having the Spirit in you. But that's not tonight's top topic. Our messages are for to try to be freedom fighters. We're seeking to help liberate people of every 
bond, every form of religious bondage, but especially the LDS, because that is really quite a, uh, a restrictive religion where men put their rules on these poor people. But we also are here to serve sons and daughters of God wherever those people might go to church. And no matter where you exist in your life, if you're a son and daughter of God, we speak here on the show as a means to help you and your personal convictions toward God and Christ. Whatever your personal convictions are, we are here talking about those to support you in whatever field you're growing in. So, and you know, you have to have this liberty. You have to have this ability to um, walk in liberty in order to love. Have you ever thought about that? If you are commanded and said, told, you have to do, you have to believe this and this and this, it's really hard to freely love. When you can give somebody freedom to choose on what they want to think and do and believe, and they choose a certain way, then love is able to exist. But when you're told no on this, it's hard for love to thrive. In other words, there's an inhibition on genuine agape love that comes through us from God when it and other elements of life are mandated. When a Christian is told this act of others is evil, that's a mandate upon your mind that causes you not to love the people who do that action. So freedom and liberty is always associated with love. To have the freedom to love another person, you can't have mandates on what you think about that other person. If you do, you won't love them uh, uh, properly. So let's talk about the two dastardly factors in the LDS sacrament prayer. That one, the LDS leaders interpret for its members what those commandments are. And we gave you that laundry list of commandments that they have. I just want to do a little experiment with you tonight. I want you to assume, pretend, that there's a world council of religions, all Christian-oriented religions, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian scientists, on up to the Catholics, Mormons, uh, or uh, everybody who brings Christ into their doctrine. Let's say there's a worldwide council. And every one of the leaders in that church and all the congregants agree, we are going to do with expectations um, of our members. All we're going to do is teach faith in Christ and love for God and for man. We are not going to have any rules relative to baptism or church attendance or tithes or Sabbath day or on and on and on and on. Every religion throws all that in the pile and lights it on fire. But they agree to one universal rule among themselves that's applicable to uh, Christians on this earth today. And that one rule is they must, Christians must wear socks to church. That is the demand the Catholics, everybody puts on their congregates. And it's universally agreed uh, that, that, that socks must be worn to church. Now, I use this example, and if you watch campus or come to campus, I've used it before because it's very personal to me. And the reason is, when I was growing up as a Latter-day Saint in Southern California, I was a little surfer kid. And uh, when I turned 14, I got a chance to go to the steak dances. And I didn't wear socks to church. I didn't wear socks to school. 
And I certainly wasn't going to wear socks to a steak dance. Well, I had a bishop. His name was Gary Nelson. And Gary Nelson, for some reason, thought it was his duty to call me out on everything he possibly could as a means to reform my character into his image, I'm supposing. So there was a steak dance in our, in our steak, and everybody was excited to go to it, and all my friends were there. I wore long pants. I wore shoes. I wore a sh- collared shirt with a tie. My hair was the right length, and I went into the dance, but I wasn't wearing socks. And... Um, You know, I don't think Bishop Gary Nelson realized that I had opportunities to go over to this girl's house or that person's house to party, to go down to the beach and get drunk. I had all kinds of options, but I was there at the church dance, but I wasn't wearing the socks and that really bugged this guy. So I walked into the dance and I immediately went to the stage and I took my place near the speakers where the band, they had bands then playing. and, um, And I was talking to my friends who also were surfer kids and were wearing long pants, but no socks. And I watched my bishop walk in that room, that cultural hall. He beelined through the crowd, came straight up to me, and he said, lift up your pant leg. And I lifted it up and he said, go home. Just like that, which I did. I exited, I went home uh, to my parents. My mom, why are you home so early? And uh, uh, I'm home early because Mom, uh, they kicked me out because I wasn't wearing socks, which really, it made her angry. And it really made an impact on my soul. Before I go on and talk about that, I just want to point something out. 20 years later, a good friend of ours uh, that was part of that group, sort of, his name was Jerry. Jerry passed away prematurely of a disease he had long battled. And as, a, as an adult, I think I was in my uh, late 30s, could have been early 40s, I went to his funeral in Newport Beach. And I went dressed casually. And all my friends who knew Jerry from the ward and stake were there and they were all dressed in their suits and ties and white shirts and everything else. And none other than Gary Nelson walks up and he said, I didn't get the memo that the uh, funeral was casual. And I was already out of the church really in my mind. And uh, I think all my friends were kind of uncomfortable that he was still dogging me and still policing me over what I look like. But let's say that all the churches, so that's why I use socks as the example. And that's just one rule. Socks must be worn around the world for Christians. This is what's gonna happen because we're, we're human. God has his way, men have theirs. Some are gonna conform to it. Maybe most will conform to it blindly, or with intentionality, they might research it, try to figure out reasons why socks must be worn. Either way, there will be conformity to this external material rule. And most of those who conform to the rule will do so either with indifference and it's just rote, they just put them on and do it. And some will do it with P-R-I-D-E. There's a rule, you must wear socks to church. I'm following that rule. Remember, that's what it is. Obeying the rule from men, uh, men's voices says, that's pleasing God. So to wear the socks is pleasing God. Therefore, people think I'm pleasing God. The pride some people feel will lead to all sorts of things in their lives. But just know at first that a certain percentage of Christians will conform. 
Some will be piously proud of that, a segment, I don't know what percentage, and they'll begin to enhance this rule. They will begin to decorate their socks, sew in diamonds or paint them or sequins. Some will only wear the very best socks that money can buy to church. Others will be more humble about it and just buy regular standard socks. These types will begin to inspect the sock wearing of others. You can't help it when you really put emphasis on the material rule to look at your ankle and say, I've got socks, and then to kind of just look around and see who else is wearing socks and what kind they are. And then you start to hear things like, can you believe that Bill is wearing JCPenney socks on Easter Sunday? Can you believe that? In time and among those who comply to sock wearing, you're going to start to see divisions. And it's going to be based, the divisions will be based on manufacturers, the custom designer off the shelf, budget, color, style, length, over the pants, under the pants, low cut, endless divisions over the socks, the material rule that socks must be worn. So even in the end, there will be divisions among the obedient sock wearers. Some will begin to only associate with other sock wearers. And some will begin to only associate with sock wearers of the kind of socks that they wear. All under the umbrella of Jesus' name, right? Then there are those who will be rebellious. They're going to say, I don't see the need to wear socks historically. Jesus wore sandals. They, they washed his feet because of the dirt. I don't think socks are necessary and they won't comply. And there is going to be automatic rejection from the sock wearers of the sock non-wearers. And there will be a great rebellion. And there's going to be a great division, a schism, as it were, between the wearers and the non-wearers. And then they will create their own systems of religion, all emphasizing their specific form of rebellion. Some sock wearers, some rebellious teens maybe, men, will adopt the red hot chili peppers uh, use of socks of old, where they took and went naked and used socks to cover their man junk. So I would imagine somewhere, if the rule is you must wear socks to church, somebody is going to put it on their man junk and say, I'm wearing a sock to church, while they go barefoot and without clothes. Some will tattoo uh, socks around their ankles to make it look like fabric. Some will challenge the definition of what a sock is, what wearing means, and on and on in the division of the rebels, who will then have a division among the conformists. And the conformists will look down, and the nonconformists will look down, all because of one single material rule that is used in uh, organized religion. Agreed upon. One rule. Can you imagine the, the heart biting, the meanness, the judgment for churches that have five material rules in their midst? You can't smoke. You can't smoke cigarettes. You must wear socks. You can't drink alcohol. You must obey a Sabbath day and you have to wear a toupee if you're bald. Those five, can you imagine if there's five? 
Can you imagine what happens in the lives and hearts of people if there's 10 material rules, 20 material rules, 36, 48, like we showed the LDS have, attending the temple, paying the tithes, family home evening, scripture study. Can you imagine what's going on in the hearts and minds of people who are trying both to keep all of it, those who are rebelling against it, people who are coming up their own ways, and that is all in-house among the compliant. Imagine the attitudes that the compliant within a religion that have a lot of material rules are like when they look at the outside world. Imagine what's in the heart of people who follow Christ who are doing 25 different material rules because they say God wants them to and they look at their neighbor who aren't, who aren't obeying one of them. Look at what happens in the heart of a person like that. The pious judgment that falls from the minds of people on others who wear bikinis when you have to wear one pieces or who drink coffee when you can't or drink a beer in the garage or swim in a pool on Sunday, that animus corrupts the heart of the judger. That's why the material religion is destroying and has destroyed people who claim Christ ever since it started. And that's why God got rid of it. Because he knew, I have to write my laws on people's hearts and minds. And you have to forget about this gathering together, live by objective rules and material organizations and the things they say. One simply stupid world, uh, one simply stupid rule of wearing socks to church can divide the body of Christ in a thousand ways. And God knew this. Looking around, we can see that human beings love imposing rules on each other and rituals and traditions in the name of God because it provides them with certainty, certainty. But God says, hey, individual human beings with a mind and heart made in my image, how about you come to me and my spirit within you is going to work on you and it will tell you what's proper for you to wear to church if you go to one. It will tell you if it's proper for you to have a beer or not. Some people shouldn't have a beer. Some people, it's okay. My spirit will tell you if it's proper for you to go down this road or not. You don't need policemen in a brick and mortar religion because all you're gonna do is conform to them and feel proud or rebel against them. Listen to my spirit because my spirit's fruit is love and love is what teaches us to say no. Love is what gets us to say yes if we're rebellious. Love is the thing that the Spirit provides. So that's the first part, but the most sinister frosting on the LDS cake is that in telling them that if, if they keep the commandments, that they might always have His Spirit to be with them. You see, Forget about the dozens of commandments the LDS people are told that Jesus gives them. Go back to the sock rule. What the Mormon sacrament prayer allows these poor people to believe is that if they don't wear socks to church, and that's code for if they go to an R-rated movie, if they go water skiing on the Sabbath day, if they drink a beer at the uh, company picnic, 
if they do something sexual with their girlfriend or whatever it is, one more piercing than they should, don't know family home evening, forget to write in their journal for a year, they are in a place where they may lose the spirit to be with them. Not in them, but with them. See, the Holy Spirit in the Christian world is always with you. Once it moves in, it never moves out. But in Mormonism, the Holy Spirit is like a side-saddling partner that leaves you if you don't conform to all the commandments that the men tell you you have to keep. All for not wearing socks. And people wonder why the suicide rates in, uh, is so high in Utah, especially among kids, and why the use of antidepressants in the state is at the top of the nation. It's way up there. I don't know if it's still number one, but it's way up there. And in the end, these people are really just trying to live up to the commandments that they are being told they must keep uh, in order to be right with God. And it is a bunch of, it's like, a, it's like an overweight donkey pulling a massive cart of, of uh, load through the mud and hoping to get up enough speed to leap up into a tree. It just can't do it. And your life is one of drudgery. One rule about socks could do this, let alone all those with the LDS and everybody else who runs organized religion. The most devastating product that this sacramental prayer has on its members and the leaders who use it on their people makes them believe that God's love manifested by him giving his spirit is conditional. And you have to earn it and you have to maintain it in order to keep it. And that if they don't live up to every commandment made at this altar this day, they will lose the spirit of God and they will be in the power of Satan. And that's a diabolical, diabolical system that was made of men, not by God. This is why the LDS sacrament prayer, uh, it's what it suggests when people take it. We don't find this in other communion prayers and services. It is unique to Mormonism and its effects to the peace of mind and serenity of God's love and therefore to liberty, to freely love others, will be devastating in almost every case, at least in the lives of the LDS people who take their vows and covenants seriously. If they're really honest, a Latter-day Saint can't live up to all the commandments that the church tells them that they have to keep. They really can't. Therefore, they are likely to not always have his spirit to be with them. And therefore, the results is one of three things, or maybe a combination of all. Self-delusion, which suggests that someone really is keeping the command, all the commandments. I've met Mormon people like that. I keep all the commandments. No, you don't. Yes, I do. So you have to self-delude. You have to delude yourself into believing you keep all the commandments or depression, because you know you can't keep all the commandments and that you're not keeping all the commandments and you go into depression and need antidepressants, or deception, where you know you're not keeping them, but you pretend like you are. Delusion, depression, deception. Those are the choices when you're given a laundry list of commandments that nobody can possibly keep perfectly. The products of this false gospel, quite frankly, the products of all material-based tradition-holding, man-made religions. They're all doing it. 
God has set us free, free from sin and death, which his son took care of, and then free to choose and receive him in faith and love, nothing more. He loves you. He loves me as you are. No more commands needed for you to do for him to love you. Jesus did it all. He did it all. So you don't have any other qualifications to set forward to him in order to be received of him. And we look to Jesus for our strength and our solutions and the power to become sons and daughters. And he gives it to all who believe. Walking on earth, his son said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He said, I will never leave you. He said, come to me and I will give you rest not come to me and I will burden you, but I will give you rest. Walk from the tables of Wonder Bread and tap water. Walk from all the material religion and come and partake of the living bread and the living water um, that will sustain you here and for an eternity. Uh, join us tomorrow night, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Mountain, where we open up the phone lines, we're going to read your comments. We're going to read emails. We'll talk about some other things. And this was the presentation part. We're glad you joined us. But join us tomorrow night right here on Heart of the Matter Redux. <laughs>